Exegesis. Welcome, weary jazz fans. Sit back and soap up because you're listening to WJAZ, where the rock is smooth and the jazz rolls. Next up, Countdown to Exegesis, with me, Ollie Piper, your resident Dan fan, and Andrew Souter, the cuddliest Steely Dan skeptic in the whole of the English Midlands. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm very good, thank you, and and very flattered that you think I'm cuddly. Yes, you are. And today we tackle a big old cuddly song as well. We're doing Showbiz Kids. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, we have a guest. We have the man who wrote the world's longest pop song, the world's best Christmas song, who's a guitarist for Tin Huey, The Waitresses and others, and a connoisseur of antique recording equipment, Mr. Chris Butler. Hello, Chris, and welcome. Hello, and thank you for having me. And by the way, I am cuddly too. Just, <laughs> just, just so you know, you little listeners know that I am cuddable. Um, thank you for having me on, on this. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure. It's great to connect again with Oliver and to meet Andrew. Um, it's funny that we're doing the song. Um, Andrew, you're supposed to be the resident skeptic. I think I might out-skeptic you on this particular song. <laughs> I don't think it's one of, of their best, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll get to that. Um, I will do my best to be um, witty and erudite. 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 I'm not sure. See, I, you know, I'm, I'm, whenever I hear an English accent, I assume that you're triple educated compared to myself or uh, all us Yanks. What is it? A.K.A. Septic tanks, right? In cocky rhyming <laughs> slang. Um, uh, oh, you know. that makes sense now. You signed off an email with that. Yeah, I yeah, I, I was told. I thought it was just like your cool punk nickname. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was told by a, another uh, um, British friend, English friend, that the Cockney rhyme slang for us is septic tank, which, you know, truth be told, is probably fairly accurate. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I went to you know pretty nondescript um, uh, land grant college in Ohio, and you know got as much education as I could, um, despite you know being shot at by the Ohio National Guard. But that's a that's another story. Uh, the May Fourth thing is is um, you know part of my education. And you all, I'm sure, you know, did your, what's it called, old levels and all of that. And, and, you know, we're all Oxbridge educated. And I just went to, you know, uh, a, 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 a school in the middle of a cornfield. But, uh, again, they did the best I can to self-educate and autodidact. See, those are words that my crappy education actually stuck with. Auto, I can use words like autodidact, which... You know, it's reasonably oppressive. I'm I'm just going to pretend what that I know what that means. <laughs> okay. You know what it means. Come on, come on. I uh, Chris, uh, I think yes. Andrew is is triple educated. I think, and he is Oxbridge educated. Myself, yeah. wow. I I just went to a to a crappy state school as well. Sorry, oh. Tersbury boys, but my brother. <laughs> So, Chris, why don't you kind of take us on your own personal Dan Odyssey? Oh, sure. What's your history sure, with the sure, Dan? Sure. sure. Well, um, I was at college at Kent State University, and um, I, I forgot when they exploded on the scene exactly, but I do have a very vivid memory of our local beanery, Jerry's Diner in downtown Kent, and their jukebox constantly playing really in the years. And as a budding guitar player, I thought, man, this is the shit. If or shite, um, or <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure if I can say that on on this podcast. I'll, I'll try and not be too potty mouthy. But anyway, oh, God, that's, please, that's just, we, we've oh, we've bleeped one oh, word, and I, it's it's the word right, that's completely right. unmentionable. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you know, fantastic, fantastic uh, song and incredible guitar playing, and. Um, big music scene in town and and um uh i didn't have much money and so all the records that i would get would be used for like a buck and a half or two dollars so my introduction to steely dan was you know whenever i could scrape some dough together and buy a used record and um i i i just thought that they were 
just my cup of tea because I was very much a blues and jazz snob and or outside rock and roll snob. Um, still am, probably. And uh, and the thing that that one thing that really struck me about them is that you know America uh, American music is very conservative, uh, unlike British music pop, where there's more of an interest and acceptance of of sounds that are more um, original or experimental. In America, things are you know pretty pretty conservative, and I I was taken by the fact that that this band. Uh, who had a you know jazzy Duke Ellington kind of background? They were like an American Bohemian breakthrough band, uh, and um, that was extremely rare. And I frankly I, I couldn't think of any other example. With, you know, prepping for this podcast and doing a little except maybe Talking Heads, who were right out you know right out of, kind of art school. And mm-hmm. um, there's certainly many many other art school things or artistic i mean you know captain beefheart and on and on and on there's so much weirdness there's weirdness here but there's not commercially accepted weirdness and mm. i just thought it was really fascinating that steely dan with their with their rich background uh was able to get top 10 singles and uh and uh, up until maybe you know until talking heads i couldn't really think of anybody else can you can you guys think of anybody else American band that had that much um scholarship maybe a musical scholarship mm. behind them that that you know or, or art background that 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 uh, well, it's funny uh, you said it's funny you mentioned art school because to me like there's a lot of kind of 60s art school music if you like the kind of the kind of psych- psychedelic free love 60s and you and you get and talking kids are kind of an 80s late 70s art school band yep Steely Dan always felt to me like sort of beatniks out of time, you know. It, they were like the kind mm. of beret, bereted, bereted, um, <laughs> beret yeah. wearing kind of, yeah, you know, cigarette smoking beatniks of the uh, of the fifties. The kind of you know, and, and that's where a lot of their musical touch points are as well. So it's they, they they don't even follow the kind of art school band formula in that regard. Even they're they're really a kind of. Well, I, of course, I think sure. they're a one-off. But. Well, it, interesting interesting. you should bring that up, because I, I used to live uh, upstate New York, very close to Bard, and Bard is, uh, you know, where they, they were from, and it is an extremely exclusive, uh, very, very high, you know, rig- rigorous scholarship place, and incredibly wealthy, wealthily endowed. I mean, their their performing arts building was, was designed by Geary, you know, uh, they have a Geary building on campus. That's their art center. Um, uh, it, it is very isolated in the in the woods. Uh, you know, I was isolated. My college was in a cornfield, basically, and mm-hmm. and they're they're in this rich, low, uh, rolling uh, area of of uh, near upstate New York, and um, about an hour, fifteen minutes outside of the city. Um, on the eastern side of the Hudson. So there is a, I mean, there's a train that goes there. They could go to New York pretty quickly. Um, but uh, it was a very, you know, rich artistic uh, environment that, that they were in as a as a liberal arts college. And mm-hmm. um, art school, I'm not sure. I don't think so. But uh, but obviously they were, they were, uh, they took advantage of all that. And mm-hmm. when I think of art school, I think of, so many of more English bands than, you know, just everybody who went to Ealing, Ealing, whatever that is, art school with you know, Pete Townsend and and um, all those folks. I think not Robert Wood. Um, um, what's his name? Guitar player now for the Rolling Stones, Ron Wood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that whole school. And, I'm sure and, there's some truth in British music being more forgiving of kind of unique uh, artistic oddness but you don't feel it when you're when you're growing up sitting in front of top of the pops and watching the absolute schlock yeah um, <laughs> you know there's a lot of like schlager if you like that america like english schlager that america never gets to see as well so um so yeah uh, i i'm obviously proud of our musical heritage and our oh yeah you know, oh, oh you made some great there's, there's a lot of crap great crap well. <laughs> great crap, great crap. I love looking at old videos, you know, of some of the really tacky top of the pop bands. You know, what a shame, what a shame. But I'm sorry, you know, as a competitive American, 
you know, that's part of our stereotype. There's there's no crap like American crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm sure. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna argue at that point since it's <laughs> such a point of pride for you. <laughs> it's, it is a point. Our lowest common denominator is way way below your lowest common denominator. Well, Benny Hill maybe. You know. <laughs> He's yeah. the dregs in your Eric, eyes. Eric yeah. Sykes. So weird that, that that Benny Hill is such a cultural yeah. export. Like, everyone in the States knows Benny Hill. No one here under the age of about 50, 60, even knows who Benny Hill is. He's one yeah. of those people that's just kind of, he's just kind of ended, yeah. You see reference to, references to him on American television and stuff, and I'm like, what? All I know but, is that he was like a sort of dirty sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was a yeah failed athlete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, I'm um I am a I am a Steely Dan fan with reservations, and my reservation stops at Asia, which, which in every you know when that came out, you could not walk into a hi-fi store. You know that was the test record that they would test all the hi-fis on, and it just, I mean, there's great stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the, you know. There's that whole thing in appreciation of music where it's, you know, you're kind of part of a secret club. And then when the rest of the world gloms onto it, mm. you know, it loses its zing, you know. The Who before Tommy. And I, I'm i a rabbit, rabbit Who fan. And, you know, Tommy's okay. But the Who I love was my club's band. I'm sorry, my club of people's band. Mm. And... um. You know, once the world discovered it, it's like, it's yeah, just not the same. We're all, we've all, we're all musos. We've all they been lose, there. they lost yeah. me in Asia, and you know, I think. Well, I think. Well, obviously, you know, the gimmick of this podcast is that I'm a I'm a steely Dan obsessive from point A to point Z. Um, as as is your right. Whereas Andrew is a sort of is he came in rapidly disliking them and is gently mm. warming up to them. However, yeah. I think you're going to have you're a nice middle ground here, Chris, because I think I think I mean right now I can't imagine Andrew appreciating Asia. And Asia is in fact the only Steely Dan album that Andrew has heard in full, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it 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 gave me an impression of them which I then didn't bother to shake of just being kind of uh perfectionist in a bad way. Yeah. You know, like well, uh, it's, it's easy list. It, it started that whole genre of like cool, easy listing jazz, jazz light. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like they're like the figureheads of that. Uh, the you know that became a whole radio format here. I don't know, light jazz, cool jazz, <laughs> play it at work. I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I would love that, but no, <laughs> it's wallpaper. <laughs> oh well. You'll have to come back for Asia and I'll do my very best okay. to convince you otherwise. <laughs> I mean, those flutes on Peg, come on, disco. Pat, that's pandering, man. Oh, okay, I'm off subject. I'm sorry, off topic. I'm <laughs> no, but it's gone. so nice but to have somebody who likes showbiz kids. This, this is the song <laughs> we're supposed to be focusing on with Rick Derringer on slide guitar. Annoying. Yeah. Annoying oh, yeah. for the McCoys, Ohio band. Oh, they're uh, an Ohio band. Oh yeah, Dayton. They're what? they're Hang On Sloopy is um the Ohio State song. Oh. <laughs> well, kind of. Uh, this was one of my facts I was going to bring up for our next oh, section. Oh. Song facts. So this was a single. This was the single from the album, even though it contains the word "fuck." Yes. Was it bleeped? I'm sure. Or no. I mean, edited out on, on the single. It was. I, it was edited. Yeah, I was really disappointed actually to to learn that it was edited. But uh, the the single version goes: show business kids making movies of themselves. You know, yeah. It just it just cuts that line <laughs> out completely. Um, well, that's that's still a pretty balls move for 1973. You know, yeah. to yeah, uh, because I I have that in my notes of like this was the first single. 
the only, you know, wow, you know, that's that's pretty ballsy for. Also, remember, you know, they were on, they were not on a quote known major label, ABC, Dunhill, whatever, Paramount, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, it's. I don't know much about the history of the label. It's it's it's. You know, they're not they were not considered a major, and I guess they stuck with them or their contract bound them for a number of records and and uh you know they didn't you know they weren't signed by capital or warner brothers or columbia they were kind of this this also ran record label um uh and and to and to make the decision that this is the single that's that's kind of interesting don't you think Mm. yeah but interesting or not it didn't do well Mm. um so it was brave but ill-placed. Uh, producer Gary Katz said on that point, that was an ill-fated single that we selected ourselves. At that time, we were still picking our singles. Since then, we've been absolutely avoiding that and nothing to say. They should have yeah. just dropped in Fagan saying fig instead of <laughs> fuck, yeah. Well, uh, I'll bring out another quote from Gary Katz since it's relevant, Andrew. Okay, okay um, go on. He said, Donald did have some, some concern at the moment, and we all did for about three seconds, and then we tried one more word. Doesn't say what that is. I think Donald said, I'll try something, and it sounded silly, and that was the end of it. Wow. wow. So, you know, they did, maybe they did say fig. Yeah, fig. Possible. Yeah, it doesn't even go with the with the sarcastic, snotty, tone, mm. punkish, you know, pre-Johnny Rotten sneer, does it? Mm. Yeah. I don't give a fig. <laughs> so would you like to hear about some covers well i'd like to ask chris a question well go on then please well no just because so you know lyrically this song is kind of obviously an attack on uh self-important self-absorbed showbiz kids and the the charge is oh they don't give a fuck about anybody else and in the chorus there's stuff about like the poor people your description of bard college as being this kind of like leafy enclave rich what I'm asking you is, do you think that Steely Dan gave a fuck about anybody else? Did they give a fuck about the poor people or did they just enjoy sneering? I think it's a it's a you really have to parse this because you've tapped into um, for my song fact, Ollie, um, is that they did this in L.A. And there is a huge rift psychologically, culturally, emotionally between East Coasters and the people in Los Angeles. Mm. East Coasters consider them all to be just, LA is vacuous. It's, it's that abomination against nature. Um, uh, I, have, I have many encounters with that. And, you know, it's all groovy in California. And they are backstabbing, backstabbing motherfuckers. I mean, <laughs> it's, they're awful. They're awful. And uh, there is a vacuity. There is a lack of just smarts or education and you have you know uh the, the east coast is you know very much that east coast elite that they keep talking about that the right keeps talking about i mean that's that's true and for good reason because the rest of the country is stupid uh and and nothing is as stupid as as somebody from la i i i once had a wonderful wonderful very nice person um los angeles girlfriend and um, I'm, I've, I've often made, I'm from the Midwest, and I've often made a joke that um, I love Midwestern girls because they know how to use jumper cables, and, and they are used to disappointment. Um, <laughs> the, the woman in, in um, you know, she's a wonderful person, but, you know, uh, uh, we had a flat tire. And uh, on, on a freeway, you know, which is like awful, thousands of cars going by. And I said, well, come on, let's change the tires. I don't know how to change a tire. You don't know how to change a tire? Says, no, I, I don't know how to change a tire, but I know how to get somebody else to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Using, yeah, yeah. Using, her, using her feminine wiles. And and um, I'm not really sure what that says, but that was kind of, for me, it was like, Boy, that's L.A., you know? So, it's a, so it's, a, it's a culture clash song, do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's that's one reason why, if I was going to say I like talk the part of me that's wearing the I like it hat, that, that I, can, I can really identify with that sneer and, and the contempt that they have as East Coasters for um, uh, the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And it's legitimate. 
there are allusions to Hispanic Latin Latinx okay. culture in the song because you know East LA was also you know wonderful a hotbed of music for there was an there was an East LA punk scene um, Latin music obviously um, uh, Latin culture in general and they're doing this song as a Latin song right with with mm. you know it, it it has that it has a very much of a Latin feel. And so the, I, I see them identifying when they say poor people. I, I think they're strongly directing their their uh, uh, affection, the affectionate part of the song, um, to uh, the Latin uh, people. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and utter contempt for the gringos. You know, mm. for, for the pasty white, I'm, I'm beautifully tanned, handsome, shapely, shapely bodies. <laughs> You know, yeah, shapely bodies and all that. Yeah, yeah, the rich, entitled <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hollywood brats. Well, that's that's why that's why we need you here on here, Chris, because you you bring this uh, cultural education. I certainly didn't pick up on any of that, so that's uh, thank you. As I, as I am, as I am. <laughs> uh, shall I run through some covers? Yeah, Please go for it. Yeah, basically because I I love I love talking about Ricky Lee Jones. So just just give me this. So it's covered by the Mark Masters Ensemble uh, on its Steely Dan covers album, Everything You Did. Uh, the Doug Pauly Trio on their album, Radio Wave. Uh, someone called Hannah Bowl um, as Showbiz People. She emits the fuck, which is really annoying. And then by Ricky Lee Jones on her album, It's Like This. So sorry, everyone. Sorry sorry to all of those artists. Everything I've heard is 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 crap, apart from, of course, Ricky Lee Jones, who everything Ricky Lee Jones touches is magic, including this cover of Showbiz Kids. So if I have one recommendation, it's go and listen to the Ricky Lee Jones version because she's lovely and it's lovely. Um, have you heard, Chris, The because uh, I know Andrew will have, have you heard the, the song that samples this? And do you know the story behind it? Um, it was sampled by Super Fairy Animals. No. As, the man don't give a fuck. Ah, oh, go and listen to that as well. It's it's excellent. Um, I am remiss. I'm remiss. I must check it out. No, this no, no, is no. the best because I always go through covers and samples. This is the best use of sample, if I do say so, so. Well, I say I do so, oh. so myself. I'm not in the super furry animals. Um, <laughs> but there's an interesting story behind that, which we've already covered. But just to uh, on the podcast, but just to be brief, um, do tell, do tell. They want they wanted to put that out uh, as a single. Donald Fagan wouldn't let them use the sample. Eventually, he relented, but only if he could have 95% of the royalties. So that's what they agreed to. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. And it's also very weird because, you know, uh, technically, he doesn't have the say on that because it's the it's the record company that owns the masters, all right? And, yes, there's the publishing issue that's involved that they would be involved in or they would have um, control over. But uh, the use of the audio sample, if it's direct, that's the purview of the realm. Ownership goes to the person who paid for the tape or entity that paid for the recording, and that's ABC Paramount. So he really... So, yeah. Maybe the story has been... Mm. adulterated over the years well this this fits my this fits my kind of uh prejudice preconception about donald fagan because it, it makes it sound like it was just a personal vendetta like <laughs> the publishing company didn't really care but fagan really cared and he was like 95 yeah. percent or nothing you know could could be could be uh, i don't i don't know the man i did kind of meet him once because it, it, when i was living in new york it turns out we had the same doctor and and uh, uh, my doctor was sworn to, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. He's not going to tell me anything, but I'm in the waiting room and there's Donald Fagan. And what look did I, he give I, you when he saw you? I just, just did, did you oh, remember the look on his face. Oh, I definitely, you know, we're all buried in the back issue of, you know, Time Magazine or something. And of course, he's, he's reading his upside down or I'm reading mine upside down or whatever, you know, trying not to the, <laughs> acknowledge the... The uh, Upper West Side uh, Hebrew elephant in the, in the room. Um, <laughs> so you know, no contact, no whatever, because I'm like itching to say I'm I'm a big fan, and you know, we're in a waiting room. We're sick. Not the best time to 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 be fanboy. Mm-hmm. No, of course. Anyway, all right. One last fact. 
The Las Vegas backing vocals, with with which they mispronounce as Last Wages. Uh, oh, is that what they're saying? Yeah, Lost Wages. Right. Lost Wages. Okay. That's a that's a direct lift from Lenny Bruce in one of his in a Lenny Bruce routine, which I didn't know. Uh, okay. Chris is nodding, which is making me think he probably did know. What what material was Rick Derringer's slide? Was it glass, brass? You know, right, right. that's right. Yeah, bottleneck. Yeah. You know, I think, right. I think he used a. <laughs> I think he used the rare duck's egg. Yeah, <laughs> the raw duck's egg. Yeah. Well, that was very big in studios at at, at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, sure. I think I think I think they got it from Eric Clapton, but um, but <laughs> no 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 no. I'm wrong. He, he used an a Thames eel. I think. Um, um, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. He's like, get that tone. <laughs> what is a vibe? <laughs> Donald Fagan dreams he is Mecha Godzilla, stomping through Los Angeles crushing health food shops, tearing up beachside condos, and crying tears of sweet revenge. Wow. Can't top that, man. There yeah, I'm kind of annoyed that you went first. <laughs> what we have also on this album, because on the on the liner notes, on the back of the vinyl, the Dan basically gave a vibe. Becker and Fagan basically wrote their own vibes for the song, so we always pale to the Dan's vibe, so I'll give that last, but you can decide the winner at the end, Chris. Um, so, Andrew, what's yours? Well, it's pretty bad. Basically, I just wanted to say it's a really good song, but I felt that was lacking in creativity. So here's my vibe. Here's my vibe. A direct hit, a bullseye, a slow, clean kill. Wow. I didn't realize, I, I didn't have anything prepared. That's brilliant, too. Oh, thanks. No, it's fine. Well, I told, I, I said to you, look, just to peek behind the curtain, I said to you, don't prepare, don't, you don't have to prepare anything. So okay, don't. Well, so you shouldn't feel now. That Once again, it's proof that how much better educated you are. Hey, one, <laughs> you know, five five minutes of D minor with kind of uh, quasi Latin feel, incredibly great snark. But I I find the slide guitar to be really annoying, and these are the Becker and Fagan are famous for their picky picky ultra ultra sense of you know arrangement and all of this and they just let this guy blow and if you put on headphones and in some of the verses he's lower in the mix there are a couple clams in there you know they let all that go uh, they must have thought it's such an inspired performance we'll keep it go <laughs> but i but i but i can't get a I sense think of yeah them. well I think it's the well, least good thing about the song well listen i have i have thoughts on that right so park park those thoughts for about six minutes, because I'm gonna. Oh, he's gonna proselytize. I'm gonna I'm, mm, evangelize. Evangelize. I just want to see how it, how it, how that looks through the lens of my. They ran out of studio time and money, and they just, kept <laughs> they couldn't well, redo it. That's what it was. The, the studio clock was ticking. They were a little over budget, right? And they just, oh, well, we're done. You know, this is not the best song. You see, that doesn't sound very Dan, though. You know, just to say we're done. You'd you'd have you know Beck, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker would be kidnapping uh, label executives <laughs> to <laughs> to demand extra studio time. Okay, okay, you you have your six minutes, so please <laughs> pontificate. Well, I'll yeah, give you... the, can I just say for the folks at home, Chris has has put his his hands behind his head as if to say, <laughs> like, <coughs> do your best, do your best. <laughs> <laughs> okay the dan's vibe and then you and then chris you can give you can choose a winner because that, that brings a sense of like healthy competition to this mm. bit which is usually us just getting a bit like painfully poetic for, for a moment but so so becker and fagan's vibe the dan moves to la and is forced to give an oral report i mean that that is pretty much um were they forced but still that's that's a pretty good summing up of the song i would say and these kind of Dan vibes that they the 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 summing ups that they put on the uh, on the liner notes tend to be deliberately obtuse a lot of the time. Whereas this one, like the song itself, they kind of go straight for the jugular and say, "This is what it is. This is how it is." So yeah, who won, Chris? That's that wasn't six minutes. I'm waiting. <laughs> Wait, there's more. There's more. There's more to come. It's going to be longer than six minutes, actually. I, 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 I don't know. I like, I like, I love the album. I love what they do. I just don't think it's that strong of a song. On beyond 
I mean, the lyrics are typically brilliant and snarky, and I get it. And you know, uh, it it sounds like something that they thought they were they were you know having a little harmonica at the end, which sounds like a human shriek. Which I thought that at first, until I put the headphones on. Oh, that's the harmonica. Okay, over oh, there. Oh, I thought that was this, I thought that was Donald Fagan going. Maybe, but it sounds. But but in my left headphones, it sounds. You hear a little harmonica because I was listening mm. for it, you know, in the track list that you know it says there's harmonica. Okay, you know, and no, it sounds like it sounds like they did workmanlike work, but the plug was pulled, or it was like, okay, you know, we're done with this. We took it as far as we can, and you know, let's concentrate on something else. It's. You know, an album track. It sounded like an and I. The fact that it's a single, you know, compared to say my old school, uh, which is an obvious one for me. I it it doesn't have the same picky picky approach. It's maybe it's the one time they allowed somebody else to just blow. Who as opposed to you know Larry Carlton later on, you know, doing these incredibly schooled uh, a solo you know that should be studied in <clears throat> conservatories you know this guy just uh, rick derringer kind of just blows it's also in d minor right so it's so all in d minor it's what it's all well, in look, d, it's one d minor chord just okay to, just to means, satisfy my need to compartmentalize everything right let's no. just say now we're on to the next section we're talking music all right the music go well, that means the, the, you know, the root key is F. Well, so what did he do? Tune his guitar and open F or something? I mean, so it, in order to make the, it, 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 a slide thing, you usually, you usually, you know, tune it in a tuning, uh, you know, G, open G or open D or something like that or open E. But the song is in D minor. So, I mean, maybe, I mean, he's a really good guitar player, so maybe it didn't bother him that it's in an oddball key. That the home that the root would be F, you know. But you know, I'm thinking he must have, you know, either capoed his guitar, maybe, um, uh, or you know, put it in E tuning and then capoed it mm. uh, at, at at the first fret. Uh, so you know, and 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 the sound, the sound, you know, this is an era where you're beginning to get you know incredible slide players like Lowell George from Little Feet and and. Um, uh, Dwayne Dwayne Allman, you know, and they're playing, you know, Gibson, you know, through a Marshall or, or an old Fender or something. Just fabulous tone. The tone on this is not particularly distinct, or or you know, it's not a good sounding slide. Stinging. It's not a stinging. It's not Lowell George on that Stratocaster going, Bow, you know, that tears your head off it's going oh, like, you're speaking you're speaking andrew's language man with, with all this it's I'm noodling sure. yeah, it's yeah. No, it's it's noodling when when do they ever can we think of any other song where they just let somebody noodle i was just gonna say i've been listening recently to some 80s dylan and uh dylan gets mark knopfler on guitar and mark knopfler cannot leave a gap so bob dylan sings a line Mark Knopfler does a very melodic and tasteful fill, but in every fucking gap. And if I was had been the producer in that room, hit the mute button. Yeah, just shut up, just shut up, Mark. It's not about you; it's about Bob, you know. But it's like I feel with this. Uh, I quite I don't object to the tone as much as you, Chris, but I just think it's relentless. But Ollie's now going to tell us that it was all deliberate and part of the Steely Dan. Well, well, like, yeah, this may be me. A little too forgiving. Of. He is privy. He is privy to inside information. Yeah, yeah. He's got Fagan on speed dial. <laughs> oh God, what a nightmare! Um, <laughs> like, so I thought maybe this is this kind of maximalism in the guitar playing and and the dynamics is uh, is a kind of parody. So they're using like it's like they've kind of gone. They've got, they're sitting at a supercomputer, this big brain, right? And they've typed in swaggering rock song, right? And then let it like whir away and work it out and turn up all the dials to max and the valves are kind of blowing and steam's coming out and showbiz kids pops out. So, because, so it's got, you know, it's got that big kind of stomping rhythm. Like I was talking about like um, Fagan as Godzilla earlier in, in the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, 
you know, and then the solo, like you say, it just goes, he just, there is no, there is a solo later, like a solo when there's a break in, in the action, but it is just basically like a solo for the whole length of the song. But even, even in the solo itself, it's an unusual solo for a Steely Dan song because the solo gets stuck on little musical phrases in a way that's kind of very stereotypically rock and not very typically Steely Dan. You know, you know that thing they call it like Ernieing, where it's like Ernie, 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 like it does that a lot. And knowing how finickety Steely Dan could be with like solos and the quality of solos and the quality of musicianship, I'm not saying. I'm not saying Derringer does a bad job, but no, I no. I think they were setting out to kind of go, we're gonna do like the swaggering, swaggeringest, most over the top rock song here because we what because then it be, so the music kind of reflects the subject matter or their views of the subject matter. So they were so like Derringer, Derringer, imagine you are El Supremo. Yeah, play the like, guitar well, like El Supremo. Like, like just play throughout, do whatever you want, and be really like over funky. the top. I I take issue with that. I think they ran out of ideas. I I think that they had great ideas for all the other songs. I mean, these are meticulous arrangers. Well, right? exactly. But you, if they're meticulous <laughs> arrangers, are you they going to let taking... someone just go? Wow, wow, wow. I hear. That they ran out of, or, you know, we don't have enough ideas on this. Let them blow. It's good, you know. It's good, you know. We got to move on to ten, uh, eight, seven, other, six other songs that that, you know, need more attention t- today. You've been out. in more studios than I have, so I'm inclined to. Uh, I'm inclined I mean, to take. Your I word. could be. I could be way bloody off. It could be, you know. I I, I just I, have a feeling with them that they don't do anything without deep thought and um you know they reason it through and they're and uh, the, the, this is really unusual and i'm looking i guess i'm grasping for reasons mm. why they let this go well so am i but i'm landing on the other side of the of, of, i'm on the forgiving fence well you're on the uh, the fucking run out of money fence even in the beginning, I was listening for, can you hear the ambience? Is there an ambient mic in the room? Is there a, a thing to make it sound big, you know, mm-hmm. roaring? You know, it's it ain't Lowell George on on that blistering steel where you hear, you can hear the room. You can hear the, uh, you know, it's a tight mic and it's, it's not a pleasant guitar tone. And uh, there is no ambience. So, no, you know, the things that would make it large large let me get my fingers in the camera here the thing that would make it big and and rocky are not acoustically are are not are not there it's not there so maybe my so maybe just to kind of labor my original point maybe that's a deliberate choice in that we're kind of going let's make everything maximalist let's make all the volume like at a high level with but like without any of the kind of naturalism that is that you'd expect like a bit of room sound like a bit of reverb like a bit of that's um well there you know at even at the time there was an LA style there was an LA style of recording and there's a there's a English style of recording and there's a uh, East Coast style of recording and with few exceptions LA is 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 very much um, muted tom tom you know all those Jim Keltner you know pneumatic heads. Uh, you know, everything's tight and, and they didn't do a lot of ambient things. And, and when they did, I'm going back to Little Feet again, um, uh, post, um, what are the uh, Zeppelin, the Levy, Levy Bricks, where they did the, the big stone hallway, you know, Little Feet song, um, Cold, 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 where definitely they had a room mic. You can hear the studio ambience. Mm. Not listen how tight Jim Hodder's drums are. You know, there's, I mean, I, I, there's not even an overhead. I'm not sure he plays a crash cymbal anywhere in the song. It just, I think it's hi-hat and snare, and everything's very tightly mic'd because the, the focus was on the groove because as soon as you add ambience on things, you get a wash. You lose, mm. you lose the interaction. Um, you, lose, you lose the compositional intention of the parts because the rest of the song is fairly orchestrated, although... There's more piano noodling on it than normal as well, not just the guitar. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe this was their little holiday. We're taking a holiday. Yeah, We're going to yeah. let, let well, the last song was a holiday because we've just done your gold teeth, and that was most certainly 
that's well that, i guess that's their jazz holiday maybe this is their rock holiday i was just gonna jump in and say so you know ollie's defense of the slide is kind of like oh it's a song about obnoxious personalities so they tried to get the slide to sound in some way obnoxious i have a feeling that this defense is gonna come up more and more as we go through the steely dan discography as in ah. it's like oh yeah this is sli- yes this is soulless this it's is soulless but they wanted it to be soulless because it's about uh, it's, it's my it's my defense every episode come on yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's nothing it's bad new. On purpose. it could be it it could be you know he might not be wrong if yeah. if we start for, if if we start with the first cause being these are smartest guys in show business at the time in pop mm. music at the time and nothing that they do is without intention mm-hmm. or calculation or um uh and if we follow that through it yes it's logical that oliver is correct that that whatever that is it's intentional you know we have a choice of picking tones uh, we're going to do something loose and obnoxious here that plays into the sarcasm of the lyrics that makes sense Okay, I, I can I can I can see that and I can I can I can agree with that. All right, um, let's talk let's talk more let's talk different music things then. Um the uh I want to talk about the loop. What do we think of the loop? Because uh, you know this is kind of a lyrical thing, but but the, the vocal loop in the background, the last wages just lost no, you didn't wages. you didn't understand that at first, Andrew. I thought they were saying Las Vegas. <laughs> well, it's kind of ambiguous, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I think um, that's one of the coolest things about the song "Lost Wages." Going to the yeah. Lost Wage. yeah, so yeah. That's, there's not much to do with LA, but it's a great pun. So, mm. yeah, it's brilliant. And um, what what surprised me in my research is that is that Steely Dan basically imply that they think it was a mistake. Oh. They don't they don't like it. So they say uh, in the line of, in the new line of notes reissue, they say, "Was that the stroke of genius we originally thought it was, or just another <coughs> horrible mistake?" So they kind of imply they don't like it, but I agree. I think that's one of the best things about the song. It kind of it brings a kind of u- unique flavour to the uh, to the stew. And it's a loop, is it? It's not uh, a live take of them singing it over and over again. Yeah. So this was a this was a loop, and I was also interested mm. to hear Chris's take on this because I, I don't know if he's got any loop stories, but apparently they had it <laughs> going from the uh, you know going from the tape machine, just two inch tape running out of the machine, kind of like. And then an idler wheel outside the control room and coming back in and 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 you know the obviously it's it's super easy to do that now on a on a computer but right 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 mm. I didn't real I didn't realize that because get getting the timing right is really tricky mm. you know that's that's cool and yeah, yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. lots of machine got it lined up that could because you, you can you can lock multi-track tape machines so that they'll 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 play together and. Um, uh, I did not. I didn't realize. That's cool. I I didn't know that. Yeah, you yeah, know that. So. You know that quote about feeling nostalgia for a time that you never knew. I just got that really strongly. Like I just want to be in that studio, feeding a, uh, feeding tape. Uh, yeah, but it's so much faff. The the thing is, I know, you know about but the, it's, the, past, oh. the past was a lot of faff. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's it was a lot of hassle. It, it, it's easy to. It's easy to look through rose-tinted glasses to a time you never knew, but everything's easier now. Yeah, but imagine, imagine, like the, the, imagine the, how they punched the air when they got it right. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they could have done it a bit at a time. You know, they, they, yeah. they, they could have um, found the downbeat, set the machine up, set this machine up, and had, you know, the tape app go, you know, three, Ooh. two, one, punch. You know, set, set the one on record and keep doing it until it lined up okay. That's you know that's a possible the very speed thing with the you know you do the slider and here's a here's a non Dan fact for you uh, Fleetwood Mac had to do that with all the drums on Rumours because by the time they'd recorded everything on top of the original drum takes the tape had worn to the point that the drum mm-hmm. sounded really muddy so they had to they had to te- I think they'd kept a backup of the drum take and they had to record it all back on top. But you, but obviously tapes go out of sync, so they had to use like the very speed slider and keep it all like keep it all yeah. tight. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to live in the past anymore. That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. an analog past. <laughs> yeah, I've heard yeah. that about I heard that about Neil Young recordings that he would spend so much time on mixing that he would wear out his masters, his two inch master tapes. You know, they had the, uh, the it, it, either the music was lost or they would have to go to. Second generation, you know, safety copy. It's called safety copy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Wow. So, so yeah, um, Neil Young as well. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> Burn. One day, these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. Oh, the hand claps are interesting. They kind of come in, you know, uh, uh, in different spaces in your headphones. And I, th- I think that's kind of cool. One thing that really, really got to me is looking at a, f- a few tapes of of them on YouTube playing it live, where they lose the Latin feel and they make it kind of funky, all right? And and which I thought that was an interesting choice. And then um, this may be heresy to Oliver and gold to Andrew or vice versa, I'm not sure. But I hate Michael McDonald. I fucking hate Michael Mother. I have never he's, heard- he's, he's not on I the recording though, is he? He's on a the- singer who doesn't who it's like every song is in the wrong key for him it, yeah. it, it, it's the strain the strain what a fool believes. oh my god yeah the, the strain of wherever he goes for a high note and yeah. that poor guy i kept thinking and and one of the verses that i saw is where mcdonald does does the vocal mm. and i thought god this is this says it, and with a with a funkier background, not a Latin feel. Mm. I, I think I think I think about Michael McDonald is that he looks like a sort of handsome accountant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's got like yeah, a slightly yeah, yeah. sort of square look about him. Very square. I, yeah, you know, he, yeah. But you know, he, he's a looker. But he, you mean literally like like cuboid? Because <laughs> I think he, he's kind of literally cuboid. To me, yeah. he was a guy who works at an auto parts store behind the counter. <laughs> you know, Michael. Yeah, Stitched yeah. on his on his shirt. You know, gonna yeah, help. Yeah. You. What do you look yeah. for? The battery fuses. Yeah, yeah. they're aisle three. You know, <laughs> a kind of biker guy who's got a day job. You know. Yeah, yeah. I always thought like Michael McDonald's voice to me sounds like the kind of um, voice preset on a Casio. Or like oh. You know, yeah, like exactly. Like, yeah. I love the idea of him just working in an auto parts store, and then at the weekend moonlighting in a ba- like a really shit local band called the Doobie Brothers. It's like, oh yeah, I'm actually doing a gig right, on right. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Playing playing a holiday in lounge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, with a with a Fender, Fender Rhodes piano. Yeah. You know that he has he needs help moving one of the the big suitcases, right? The heavy yeah, suit. yeah. You know, and here's a little here's a little song with the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> the lyrics. Out of yeah, after after playing, you know, with a couple of verses of of wit and and yeah. arch arch language, they mm. just get they just cut to the chase and go right to this is what the song is about. You know, we hate your fucking guts and <laughs> and uh, uh, you know your your shit. And um, uh, you, you, as a showbiz kid, that type of Hollywood personality, vacuous and 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 fame obsessed, and all of that. You you know you have no intellectual foundation in anything you think or do, and um, you know you, you are you are you're a waste of humanness. Humanity, you're not worth the air you breathe and the food you eat. And um, you're, you know, they directly say, yeah, you showbiz kids are crap. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the uh, I've got I've put almost exactly this in my notes, and and it is like it is it, like most of the time, like you say, it's like foggy illusions and in jokes and all that sort of thing. This time is like they've gone. No, we need this message to get through. Like as as the kind of central point of an album, which is generally about ho- hating, quote unquote, showbiz kids, they've gone. We can't have this misunderstood. Let's get straight in there. Gloves are fucking off for this one. T- for this one time, gloves are off. Bang bang, left hook. It's um, completely unheard of in the Dan discography. After this, it's all back to their weird little making each other laugh at the piano stool lyrics. You know. <laughs> Well, you know what, and maybe this bolsters your argument, Oliver. That that, uh, and and in a way, kind of kind of mine, not argument, but a, a statement um, or interpretation. You know, that would be a that would be a reference point for allowing anything goes, or for allowing Rick Derringer to just blow for five minutes. You know, the statement is so blunt. We could add a few things that harmonica. You know, I hear a a, a vibra slap. Uh, and at one point from Victor Feldman's credit with percussion, I can't really hear the marimba. Uh, 
But um, oh, it's nice. You know, you know yeah. yeah, and and so maybe maybe that's the reference point where they said, okay, we we bluntly made our statement here, um, and we could try a few things, and we'd be a little looser about the accompaniment and the recording of this. Because well, maybe we, they're slightly embarrassed within themselves of having been so blunt lyrically that they well, feel they almost so need to because, kind of. Well, people use people who are angry and don't want to get punched will 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 craft in jokes and and slang and double entendres and anything to protect themselves and or you know hide their feelings and and this is totally blunt, you know and and uh, uh, I mean there's no there's no poetic. Uh, uh, literature aspect about that statement, you know. That's mm. the other, the other verses, the other songs. You know, there's no, there's no ah ah, there's no character, right? We joked about about Deacon Blues before. They're painting a wonderful picture. I mean, obviously, I like this song, but you know, I just hear it too much. I mean, they're 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 building characters, right? They they do character songs, Kid Charlemagne, and you know, and they and and I have to say, I identify with that because I. I like to work from characters, and mm. and the waitress's Patty was a character or played a character, um, and 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 that's all gone with that two line phrase, right? It's as blunt yeah. as it could be. We're not we're not building a character anymore. They're they're hundred percent, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. They always write through characters, and this is, I don't know if it's unique because as some of the stuff on the first album, it's kind of like. Are they? Aren't they a character? They're kind of finding their feet from a kind of tone tonal point of view. Here, it's surrounded by character songs, and this song is very blatantly not a character song. Yeah. It's and it's and it's not subtle. You know, right. Maybe it's subtle by some musician standards, but it's 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 by the dance standards. This is clear as day. Yeah, just just completely bluntly say you are scum. <laughs> But in terms of its like bluntness, and, and this isn't meant as a dig, Andrew, but um, not none taken in in advance. <laughs> this this to me, okay, and and just to explain to Chris, there has been a running thing to this podcast where we keep bringing up Randy Newman, right? Because like because uh, I guess when we were recording Steely uh, Series One, Andrew was in the throes of a kind of <laughs> Newman love affair. Yeah, I was pretty um, obsessed. I but this like I, I've mentioned him before in relation to other lyrics, but this I think is very 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 Newman esque as a lyric be, because Newman tends I know Newman tends to play characters as well, right? But he will also have he will always have like quite a simple direct metaphor to hang all his cleverness off of. So you know he he uh, whereas Steely Dan kind of couch everything in like fog and subterfuge like. Randy Newman is, is is his his underlying metaphor is often very direct and straight to the point. But which... I think I think if Randy Newman wrote this song, he would be the showbiz kid. He would write it from the perspective of the vacuous Hollywood brat. And okay, but be, well, maybe and and, and, maybe. and, and, and the, the two line couplet that we yeah. you know we're talking about would be directed at somebody who, in Randy Newman's eyes, has value. You know what I mean, and then the audience mm. knows whose side Randy Newman is on. Yeah, I take that because he will tend to play the. He'll play. Yeah. He'll tend to play the. Play the, the, the anti. The anti. Yeah. Uh, uh. yeah. God, isn't he brilliant? I just love. Yeah. Him. yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah, I love well, him. Well, I think I think while the poor people sleeping with the shade and the light, while the poor people sleeping, all the stars come out at night. That's a very Randy Newman esque lyric. Yeah. Agreed. And I Agreed. can imagine him singing it. Yeah, mm. and in well, fact, even even the melody. Yeah, exactly. without that line, though, you know, it could be a Randy Newman song, but without the without the ultimate put down line, I think he would keep it without without the direct truth, you know, in that couplet. I I think he would keep the keep the 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 sarcasm going, but I don't think he would. I don't think he would. He would use that. Be that direct, because that's not what you know. Everything about him is so clever. You know, he would not. Mm. And, and and he would stay in character. He would he would stay in whatever the character is all the way through, you know, because that's what makes this stuff so rich to me and truthful to me, you know. Um, you know, he he is he is inside the character all the way. Yeah. And and uh, I I don't think that uh, well you know he could be accused 
Tory, but he the way he the way the way Randy Newman works is is he is a, so much in character and and the the you know the band too the band uh, um, uh, uh, on the album the band each mm. those are all character studies right yeah yeah and 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 they never break you know please you know all, all the all the angst is in things like please don't judge me by my shoes you know I can't yeah, yeah. you know that is gold that is to me that is like gold songwriting you know to be that to be that in character and never break it and and they silly Dan breaks character here by being that blunt yeah yeah and, and I, I couldn't agree more <laughs> but also i think that this why is why don't you two just marry each other <laughs> and listen to the band and randy newman together <laughs> in ohio yeah sounds good no, I was just going to say, so this is definitely, I'm being a, a little provocative, but I think that the reason that so, your Randy Newmans and your Robbie Robertsons don't break character is because they are interested in other people <laughs> and they're interested in other people's lives. And I don't think that Steely Dan really give a fuck about anybody else, but they're not like, I want to know what makes a showbiz kid tick, whereas right. Randy Newman would, you know. I, I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. Yeah, because from interviews and things, you know, they always maintain the superiority, you know, everything, even, you know, the mu chord, you know, the jokes, you know, musical jokes and things, you know. Yeah, I, I, you've never heard, maybe Walter Becker in some things on his own um, from interviews I've read. Maybe, maybe him, but Fagan, forget it. Yeah, nothing but, nothing but. Nothing but you know roiling disgust for for anything other than than himself and or the music that they do. You won't get it. You won't ever get it. You know you are beneath. And I'm not going to take. I'm not going to waste my day trying to explain it to you. Mm. Oh yeah, this is exactly what Andrew said. Exactly. But <laughs> I, I'm editing an episode right now where Andrew pretty much said those words. <laughs> Slam or. Scam. Do the honors, Chris. I think I think you've made your position fairly clear throughout. But you go first. Is this a royal slam good or royal slam bad? Wait, mm. no, that was that was mm. the wrong way round. Royal scam good. Royal slam. Oh God, you get the point. Well, royal, okay, royal slam. I'm in the middle. All right, I'm going to be a neutral party. Royal slam. Uh, 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 there's things I love about it. There's things that I find irksome. Uh, anything they do is heads and tails above so much other people, even if it's not, you know, a material. And I don't consider this to be a material. I, I give royals a royal slam. I'm sorry. Um, I, I have to be dead in the middle on this. Great. And Andrew? Yeah, it's a royal slam for me. I think it's a... a, a I think it's the one off this album so far I've enjoyed the most, apart from Razor Boy. Okay. So, uh, so I feel hopeful for side two. Yeah, Royal Slam for me. Uh, not only is this a classic in the Dan canon, um, and rightly so, but I just think it sounds like nothing else. Although we had our various irks with the production and the arrangement and all the rest of it, I do think when you hear this song and it comes in with that lick, uh, in a kind of mirror of the way... A reeling in the ears comes in at the start of side two of can't buy a thrill it's this and it just hits you and it just sounds like nothing else created before or since for better or worse and i i think it's a big shiny gem embedded in donald fagan's forehead <laughs> radiating infinite light um, <laughs> like a true bodhisattva like <laughs> a Thank you for listening uh, to another fine episode of Countdown to Exegesis. We have next week, uh, My Old School, which is a big one. Um, thank you also to Chris Butler for coming to guest. And thank you to Andrew Souter for putting up with me. Andrew's now going to list off the social media things so you can follow them because I don't do that. Sure. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to follow us, uh, you can do so uh, on Facebook or Instagram at uh, Countdown to Exegesis or on Twitter at ExegesisPod. And Chris, where, where can people find you? Well, I'm on Facebook, Christopher Butler. That's that's good enough. You know, I, I try and keep people at the distance as much, <laughs> as, as, much as possible. 
you know that's that's close enough well I'll say hi say oh. friend me on facebook i'd be glad to meet you well, thank you so so much for okay. find his band camp because he's got some he's got some great recent music on there as well. well thank you yeah i got i got a whole bunch of music out there at a website and blah 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 but but if you're interested contact me instant message me i, I like one-on-one so you know i can steer you towards that stuff 